Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 133 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. I was just telling you, it's been it's been a minute since I've recorded an episode, so I'm going to have to like get back into the groove of recording and everything, but I am here with Graham Messenger. And I guess our backstory, as we were we ran into each other, and at first I was like, I know him from somewhere. And then I was trying to figure it out, and you're like, my name's Graham. I'm like, I know that name. You're like, Graham Messenger. I was like, Iron Fork, that competition, I mean, it must have been three, four, at least years ago. Uh, four, four years ago. Four yeah, years that ago. that would have been 2018. Yeah, so yeah. I was, I attended Iron Fork the competition. I believe you won. I did win. You I won, did win that year. Yep, you won yeah. the Iron Fork competition. So I went up, introduced myself to after, after I was like, oh, bro, I just started this coffee company, yeah. this and that. And then I was like, how could I not recognize you when I ran into you a few weeks ago? And then it, yeah. you're like, well, I've lost a little weight <laughs> that, that we were talking about yep. that. So I feel a little better because you look like a different person since we last, like last talked in 2018. But to kind of preface the conversation, like as we were saying, it's like we know kind of like know each other. We've met. We know of each other. But I've never like learned your full story. But I kind of see you through friends of friends. And I just like I know you've been at a bunch of different places. So I'm really curious just about kind of your food and beverage story. Sure. How you got into food in the first place. Like, I don't even know. Are you originally from Minnesota? Yep. Yep. I was born in Duluth. Born in Duluth. Yep. And at what point did you get into the food industry? Why don't we start with where you are now? Sure. So that the, the listeners can yeah. kind of have an yeah. idea of who we're listening to yeah. if they don't already know, and then go back to the beginning. Well, uh, right now I'm currently the chef at Pillbox Tavern. Mm -hmm. uh, we opened March 5th of 2020. Which is a great time to start and yeah. open a restaurant. Yeah, it was awesome, <laughs> man. We were open for 12 days. And then, uh, and then, and then of course, everybody knows what happened on March 17th. They uh, shut everything down. And then, uh, you know, we... we we reopened right away as soon as they, as soon as they said you can do the fifty percent. Yeah. Everybody remembers that table spacing, you know, whatnot. But yeah, we, we opened up as soon as we could, and it was kind of a brand new, weird thing I've never experienced before. Everyone in the food and beverage industry could say with pretty good certainty. I don't think any of us experienced anything quite like no, that. No, 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 no. And I mean, everybody's experience is a unique. And, you know, in opening up a restaurant in that environment was challenging to say the least. Yeah. And but staffing, business level, blah, blah, blah. I want to get more into that yeah. because that is a wild story to yeah. open 12 days before <laughs> everything's closed down. But yeah. let's go all the way back to the beginning. Sure. How did you get into food in the first place? Um, you know, I, I kind of just always like to eat. <laughs> and I, I'm, an, I'm a single or only child, single mom. And so I kind of was, I cooked with my mom a lot when I was a kid. And <clears throat> mostly sweet stuff. You know, I, I learned how to make no-bake cookies very early. You know, you know whenever I'd have a sleepover or something, we'd do taffy pull, mm -hmm. saltwater taffy, like as an activity or something. And so I just kind of was always into it. <clears throat> and then uh, reading cookbooks and coming home like latchkey kid. And uh, just kind of started messing around with it and started making dinner for my mom and, and uh, you know, she was my guinea pig when I was a kid. And like, how <laughs> old were you when you started, like... Yeah, cooking, so you're like 12 years old, yeah, cooking yeah. dinner, just kind of learning it on your own. Is anyone it, showing you how to do these? Well, or you, you just know, a little bit of help. You know, I did some, my mom would cook, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd kind of be bugging her in the kitchen when she'd get home from work. You know, I'd, I'd have already had like three bowls of cereal or something. And, and there's times when she'd be like, oh, it's it, it, it's time for breakfast for dinner. And that's when I learned how to make a panikuken or <laughs> a Dutch baby. I don't know if you know what that oh, is. Oh, very like much that, so, yeah. yeah. And I thought I was always amazed by it as a kid, like, yes. And now as I'm a parent and an adult, I, re I realize how, oh yeah, that's easy. <laughs> it's <laughs> such, it. such a gratifying <laughs> feeling yeah. as a kid though. Cause mine was like scrambled eggs. Yeah. I remember when I was super young and just learning to make scrambled eggs. I was like, I am an expert now. Yeah. I am incredible yep. at cooking food. And you got a thing you can do. And it's, <laughs> you can be super proud of it. 
And, and then you realize, I realized my parents taught me that because it's like scrambled eggs is literally, you can't mess it up. Nope. It's scrambled. And I was like, I'm gonna try to make an omelet. And then I kept making scrambled <laughs> Feed eggs. Feed yourself, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that, that kind of progressed into more of a love of food and cooking. I, I got a job as a dishwasher. At this time I lived in Woodbury. I kind of grew up in that area. Um, and I was a dishwasher at Broadway Pizza. It was oh. my first job. And then one day the the salad dude didn't show up. And so the kitchen manager was like, hey, Graham, get over here. You know, and you just put the greens on the plate and then onions here and cucumbers here and tomatoes here. Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, He's like, make me a whole two whole trays. And then uh, I was like, yeah, I got it. I know how to do this. And <laughs> what, what was your experience like uh, as a dishwasher? Because you kind of hear two different stories of people getting into the restaurant industry. One is they have that first job. They go, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm never going to do this. Or did, did you actually enjoy the job itself? Did you enjoy the environment? Because here you are years and years later in the industry still. So like, what was that first experience like being in a restaurant? I think that <clears throat> the, the camaraderie did play into a part of that because some of the, uh, some of the people that worked there were friends from the neighborhood and they were already cooks and stuff. So like kind of being able to hang out you know, yeah, it was cool. I was, I'm, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, but I'm making money too. And, and we're, you know, kind of clowning around and having fun. And that's always been an aspect that I've, I've really enjoyed about the kitchen is the, the, the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a big draw early on for sure. You know, and just characters There's always somebody, some story, some clown, you know, that Broadway pizza, the guy, there was a, another dishwasher. He was older than me. Looking back, he, he was like, special needs of some sort and he would we had this cookie dish where they bought cookie dough and they'd put it in a small deep dish pan and bake it in a pizza oven and then put ice uh, ice cream and mm -hmm. chocolate sauce and whipped cream and nobody could ever finish one they'd come back in the bus tub and this dude would see it in a bus tub and just stick his hand in there and, <laughs> and then just straight scoop it out of there and like eat it and i <laughs> so, <laughs> so disgusting so gross but as a character you know there's always a story or there's always something funny yeah. that happened and so aside from you know really enjoying food and cooking that makes it a lot easier to deal with uh, some of the the negative aspects of, yeah. of our profession i was trying to explain to a friend because i just referred to like oh the, you know they're an industry person they're like what what industry i was like i, I mean like restaurant industry they're like oh why did you just call it an industry person then I, I was trying to explain what that meant and it's it's almost like the restaurant industry obviously like everyone in it I consider myself industry adjacent as a supplier so I, I'm like not in the industry but I'm right by it so I get exposed to it enough I've worked a few different restaurant jobs myself or cafe jobs and there is a wildly different culture that doesn't seem to exist outside of the industry. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I think it's just a different set of rules. No are, HR department. There's rarely an <laughs> HR department. And even then, if there is, I'm sure that HR department works on a separate set of rules. That, I'm the HR department. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it is this thing that there's a very distinct culture and environment difference because I've like worked an office job and an internship and that's when mm -hmm. I was like oh I can't ever do this and it I think that is what attracts me I think so what attracts and keeps a lot of people in the industry is you see the other side of that you go oh this this is a weird different thing in the corporate world of everybody kind of acting in a way that HR probably creates that corporate mm. culture yeah. versus the restaurant industry. It's almost the opposite where everyone's acting themselves. And then it's kind of like, Hey, there yeah. are some rules that we need to make sure, which again, like a you few. said, yeah. there's, some <laughs> there's some negative aspects to yeah. that, but it is absolutely undeniable to say it's more fun. It's definitely more fun. And it's a kind of, you know, somebody, I forget his exact quote, Anthony Bourdain said something to the effect of, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your background is, as long as you get your job done and mm -hmm. do it good. We don't care if you just came from prison. I mean, there's some exceptions, obviously, that yeah. won't be tolerated, but, you know, we don't, it doesn't matter who you were before this or what you did or what you did even before you got to the kitchen that, this morning. And that is an interesting <laughs> point because in, in the purely like corporate world, it's very much what's your resume. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the politics of how long have they been here? Why are they getting this promotion? Why are they, why are they doing this job? Where is in a, in a restaurant, it's like, 
they're doing that job because they did it well last time. So we gave it to them again. And, yeah. and then the people who aren't doing the job, no one around them is going to shy away from voicing their opinion it, if yeah. someone's not doing a great it's job true. at everything they need to do. And it's pretty easy to tell whether or not you're doing a good job. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's probably, and I'm not familiar with the corporate office world, but I imagine that there's probably some ways to hide behind with performance. There is and, uh, a lot of ways. <laughs> Not that I've like thought about it right? in an existential crisis mode. Right. I, I imagine you've witnessed it and whatnot. It's, it's pretty tough to get away with being a shitty cook. You know, you kind of got to be good and you got to handle your business. And you either do or you don't. And you, you, you get that feedback immediately. You know, and that's one of the, another thing that drew me to this industry. I, I like the instant gratification aspect of it. Like I, I get to see the results of my work right now. As soon as I finished doing what I was doing, I, um, I present it to the person that's going to consume it and give me that feedback right away. And it's cool, you know, and, and then my peers also give me that feedback right there. You know, it, and I imagine that there's plenty of jobs out there where you really don't understand how well you're doing for a very <laughs> long time, even. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like where like the only time you ever really know is at your annual review. And exactly. that, that might be the first time you figure out, hey, I'm doing a great job yeah. or it's or I'm doing a terrible job. I didn't even realize it until this moment. But right. that that is an interesting way to look at being a chef, especially it, there aren't many jobs where it's instant. That's like the second you. I mean, literally, you have a server coming by and like, mm -hmm. how is everything? Yeah. And so you'll know <laughs> yep. in like the first five minutes if they're liking what they're eating or not. Yep. yep. So, so you're making that salad. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're a dishwasher. You make yep. that salad. Where does it go from there? Well, it, it, it kind of was uh, that that camaraderie aspect. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I was uh, working in kitchens to to hang out with my friends. And, 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 and I was pretty good at it, too. Um, and then I, I started really, you know, I was, I watched a lot of food TV too. Back then it was, you know, like Bobby Flay and, uh, oh man, I, I remember all those. And, and it, I just kind of really got into it. And when I was working at Sunsets in Woodbury in oh, the yeah. late nineties, then that's when I decided to go to culinary school. Um, but school really wasn't for me. And I, and I'd say I can suggest it for for young chefs that want to get into it, but I can't fully recommend it, honestly. And I, I kind of feel like what we do lends itself more to an apprenticeship. Mm. You know, I, I, I found myself learning more on the job. What went into that decision where you said, I'm going to go to culinary school? Because I've heard on this podcast, I've heard both. I've heard some people say like, that was the first time I kind of learned the skills I needed to, to be able to actually be a chef instead of just, you know, the job I was doing at the time or... And then I've heard the flip side, like you said, it yeah. was, it was school. And you're like, this is something that maybe there are those kind of hard skills that can be learned yeah. for efficiency and kitchen purposes. But there is a lot of it that you go, if someone's teaching you how to do it, it might limit you in what you're and, trying or able to do. Well, yeah, if somebody's uh, school can, it can be limiting in that you don't get repetition mm. um, and you don't, and you honestly don't get a whole lot of hands-on experience. Um, for example, if you're learning how to clean a beef tenderloin, you're probably going to be watching the instructor do it in, in one of those tables with the mirror thing, you know, so you kind of see the top down view and he's like, you just take your knife and run it along under and peel thin and then come back and do it. And then for budgetary concerns, you probably get to practice on one yeah. ever. Because can they buy you like a whole couple of cases of beef tenderloins just to clean for practice? No, that's impractical, and and you'd never be able to sell that much in the in the school restaurant. Mm -hmm. So you know that the repetition you just don't get, and so being able to put your hands on it and make a few mistakes and have somebody correct you, it goes way farther, I think, than just watching and listening. For me personally, and then, you know, yeah. I could see how that there, there, there's probably a lot of good for some people, especially if you've not worked in a restaurant at all. If you're like kind of in kind of blind, then yeah, maybe school is kind of good. You get to learn why you do things the way you do. But uh, yeah, 
there is there, this is a pretty direct comparison to coffee because when someone pictures like a coffee roaster, so like you're picturing Jeff roasting coffee, like what is his job as a coffee roaster? Most people picture the sexy, cool side of it that oh, we're selecting new coffees and we're deciding which, or yeah, we're sample roasting, we're cupping, and it's like, oh, that's what being a coffee roaster, dialing in the coffee, and that's yeah. what all of your time is and spent doing. And then leaning doing. against the roaster. <laughs> when, in re- when in reality, most of your time, like that is a very, very important thing in selecting coffees, dialing and roast and all that, but most of your time is spent roasting that same profile over and over, doing it efficiently, doing it effectively, doing it in a very time- uh, efficient way in between how much how little time do you have in between roasts like all these things that aren't fun but are really necessary to be really good at it and I think it, there might be a comparison to what someone pictures a chef doing there oh I'm gonna like every Netflix show you see that all I'll be doing is creating new recipes yeah. <laughs> and creating the most innovative culinary uh, trends you've ever seen when in reality it's like once a menu set that's not going to be most of your no, time. No, not at all. You need to make it effective and efficient. And and that that's something that I, you know, I I learned too. That's uh yeah, you're definitely dialing in. A, l- a lot of people ask me they're like, "Oh, you're a chef, you get to just create awesome food all day long." I mean, sometimes some days are like that, but then a lot of days are, how do I make this great food easy for my line cooks to repeat, you know, so that it's the same for everybody who orders it? How do I, you know what I mean? You're trying to work through systems. Yeah, you created a dish and, you know, sometimes you're, you're even, I'm more excited about how I was able to make my creation process more effective and efficient if you will you know what i mean so i can end up at the end product you know more consistently because i've heard a lot of people in the industry like end up not liking what they do because most of it's not that because there's all the different considerations that have to be taken is this profitable is it economical is Mm -hmm. it efficient is it repeatable so it's almost ironic that if you create a process that you are an expert at and you're the only one that can do it. Well, guess what? Every time that dish goes out, you're going to have to be the one making it. Now yep. you've created a hellish environment for yourself. Yeah. And now you got to show other people how to do that. Too. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if, if eventually a chef becomes a mentor, you know, you're, you've got, you've created a system. Sure. You, you're creative in your dishes here and there. Occasionally you're cooking food, new food, but you are, you want to teach people to cook that food. <laughs> you know, has that been your experience in, cause I want to kind of continue to go along your story, but has that been your experience that generally the people you work with kind of like under as people you might consider mentors, would you consider that they were open to like wanting you to grow? Or is it like, I'm the expert, do what I say. You don't need to know why. Yeah. Yeah. People that I guess I would, that were my mentors, um, yeah, they never were very hardlined about, you know, their their ways. I mean, you might hear stories about them that they, you might think they are, but, they, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got somebody's confidence, mm. then they're going to let you run with it. You know what I mean? And it's, I find myself like really happy to have capable line cooks, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, so I could see the reverse when I, you know, what a chef might have seen in me when I was younger, like, oh, okay, this guy has got his shit together and I don't really need to bug him too much. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so, but yeah, there's, it, 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 I don't think, it, I, sometimes the mentorship isn't intentional. You know what I mean? It just ends up being that way because that's how the job gets done best. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if you get good at the thing that they yeah. need you to do, yeah. you're now good at that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, uh, as a mentee also, you know, you're, you're taking on, new information and applying it too so it's yeah, it's a cool environment like that so that that is where you can kind of start to see that culinary schools you go yeah there are some skills that if you don't have those skills it's a good thing to do mm-hmm. but you could also probably learn those in a kitchen if yeah. it's the, if you're in a kitchen that has the set of skills that you want to learn that's going to be not only you're learning it but you're learning it in a way that is repeatable it's scalable in the sense that you're going to be doing it a lot of the same way over time yeah Uh, so how long were you at broadway pizza and then (laughs) how did you decide or how was kind of the next step after that well it was uh you know the generally just working in in 
restaurants that are in that Woodbury area. You know, I did Broadway pizza and I, and Perkins. I remember prepping the bread bowls <laughs> and that is, let them thaw the the dough balls thaw and then press them on an upside down mixing bowl. Uh, and then eventually working at uh, Don Pablo's mm-hmm. out there, and then Sunsets was across the street. And then that that kind of food and it, it, at Sunsets kind of opened me up a little bit more. At that time, I was that's when I decided I wanted to go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the first restaurant that had all of your traditional stations, like you know, fry, flat top, grill, saute, pantry. They had a pizza. Pizza oven there too is a massive, massive restaurant, and, and it was really, really good, especially for its time. Um, you know, so I, I got a chance to kind of dive into all those different styles of cooking and areas or stations, you know, and I, and I, and then the camaraderie too. You know, everybody had a fun, you know, had a really fun time. I did some underage drinking, <laughs> and <laughs> <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the crew would always go to they go across the river to Hudson. <laughs> and uh, and so that you know, the first time I ever drank a beer in a bar was at Dick's Bar. <laughs> I'm sure know, they like would 19. Be. Yeah, they didn't ask. It, yeah. Just with the crew. And, you know. I've always said, well, it's like Wisconsin. <laughs> they basically hand you a beer when you cross over the border. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that and at, at, I went to school, and then as I was in school, um, I got a job at W.A. Frost, and Lenny oh. Russo was the chef there at the time. And so I... I'm going to school in the morning from like seven till two thirty, and then working at night from three to eleven in this, you know, fine dining, intense environment, and learning way more in that kitchen, and than I am in class in the morning. In fact, there's times when it felt like the instructor would just kind of give you, you know, some a project to do, and then leave, and then you just had to figure it out and it turns out that the table that i was with in culinary school was happened to be the most talented you know people in this school and they, everybody would come and ask us like how do we do this thing that that instructor told us to do <laughs> and uh you know there's there's guys you'd probably jake cassetta was in school at oh, that yeah. time okay. and josh hill was on that table too and it was a uh, you know kind of a some of those guys are big shots now, you know, <laughs> but we ended up feeling like we were teaching the class sometimes. And so eventually I, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I think I want to sleep more during the day. I'm learning and I'm spending money to, you know, this, my thought process at the time was like, I'm going to be in debt and not really learn. I mean, I'll have a piece of paper that says that these guys taught me some did, stuff. Did going to culinary school help you get that job at WA Frost, or was that totally separate from going to school? That's a really good question. Because that's where, like, the chicken or the egg thing starts to come right. in, that it's like, well, we need you to go to the school to come work here. And you're like, but if I worked there, I would learn the skills that the school would be yeah. teaching me in a way that would be actually probably better for you because the skills you'd be teaching me is in your kitchen. Yeah, interesting question. You know what? It probably did help. Um, if I want to put myself back in Lenny's shoes, and if I had if I had two resumes, and there was one guy who currently is working at at Sunsets in Woodbury, and then there's another guy who's also currently working at Sunsets in Woodbury, but going to school, culinary school in the morning, and probably would hire the guy that's going to school. And the weird thing is. Even if you're not learning a lot in the school, if someone's going to culinary school, it is an indicator that it's this an indicator person, that person wants. Yeah, absolutely, that person wanting to learn more. Yeah. So that indicator alone, you're like, it's at the end of the day, I'm paying for this. Yeah. Where maybe I'm not learning that much. It's a piece of paper, but it is this weird way of being like, I'm going outside of what I maybe need to do to yeah. continue to have this job, or. But it's this indication that I I want to take the next step in my career. Yeah, and then when it's you the actually the thing though is some there's a lot of kids that ended up in culinary school that really probably didn't really want to be chefs or didn't have the medal or, you know, it wasn't for them. Mm -hmm. A lot of people spent a lot of money on culinary school and were in debt and then either A, struggled financially because it takes a long time to, in the industry, especially in the back of the house, to work your way to where you're making a, a decently comfortable amount of money. You know, line cooking doesn't pay a whole lot. Still, even the, even these days wages have gone up but inflation has too and and you know if you're paying back student loans and very very high student loans and trying to live (laughs) while you're working as a line cook 
a lot of people just couldn't hack that mm. financially. You know, they're they're just like, you know, I. When am I gonna start making more money? And they're like, well, you got to become a chef. <laughs> and so yeah. you're you're starting school at seven and finishing at WA Frost at eleven. Yeah, you kind of go the school things not working for yeah. me. Yeah, what happens after that? So you know, I I I quit school and um, I kept working at um, at Frost, and then it I kind of took the apprenticeship route, and I I worked in various kitchens after that, some really cool ones, and. Um, uh, it, you know, it took, perhaps it took me longer. My career arc took a bit longer without school, but I, I, I like the amount of experience that I got from line cooking for as long as I did Yeah, in the places that I did, you know, <clears throat> various techniques that I probably, you know, would have learned a different, in a different way. But, uh, you know, kind of when you're not the one who's fully, fully responsible when you're just a line cook is a little less pressure when you're learning stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that, that, yeah. that is an interesting thing about any industry where it's, and it's not just the restaurant industry, uh, food and beverage, but really any industry where it is, your reputation is really important. Mm -hmm. This could be applied to all industries, but specifically to food here, that the longer it takes to probably get somewhere, the more of a foundation of a reputation you have built up and probably you've been exposed to more people who you've worked with that are familiar with your work ethic, your skills, your yeah. wantingness to kind of continue to learn in that endeavor. And then maybe you finally get to that point where you go, gosh, it would have been way faster to go to school and then get this maybe higher profile. And I put that in quotes, higher yeah. profile job. But then your reputation's way at risk when you hop right into that position versus uh -huh. slowly working your way up to something is kind of this thing that when you get to that position, your reputation's less at risk. So maybe it goes really well, maybe it doesn't, yeah. but even if it doesn't go well, you've got all these people that are like, that one thing didn't work out, but you've got more of a foundation to kind of fall back mm -hmm. on. And it, yeah, that and kind of, you know, feeling a bit of freedom to move around a little bit, it does have to do with reputation too. Like once you've, once you've established that you're a chef, you kind of can't go somewhere and be like, well, I don't want to be a chef for a little while. I just kind of want to cook. And so, you know, being able to go to another restaurant and start at the bottom and work your way up without any real professional pressure, mm -hmm. you know, for your like, career is kind of cool. I, I don't, um, experience that one of the restaurants that I guess you could find formative is was called Red, um, and it was in the Fauché Tower. I think it's there. I think there's a Keys there now. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah on Ninth Street, and um, it was a fine dining Russian inspired restaurant, and it was very very fine dining. I mean, it was so, even though I had worked in some you know upscale kitchens, it, there were some ingredients that I was exposed to there that I hadn't been previously. So the fact that I got to take that job as, uh, you know, they called it Comi. I was an assistant in the Garmage station. So I started off uh, in, you know, the pantry helper and eventually m were, uh, worked my way up to the Tornan or the person who runs the back line, the hotline. And, uh, you know, I learned so much there. And it, it was a great opportunity that, that, you know, had I maybe had already taken a job as a chef that I might not have had. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've got a couple questions. The first one being, so for this position at Red, is this something that they are advertising that, hey, we've got this position open we're looking for? Or is this something that you approach them and say, is there something in an apprenticeship role? Is there any... What is that process like to be able to get into that position? Because that, you know, looking back, it's like, so I did this apprenticeship, but it's like, yeah, but how, how, how'd you get that? So if, some, that? if someone's in a position yeah. that they're a, a line cook or even like you were, they're washing dishes and they go, I want to, I want to kind of know how does one, how does one even get to that position to be able to be this person in the pantry that maybe not everyone's saying that's the sexy end job I want, but to be in a position, to be able to learn things that I would never be exposed to. It's, um... Connections has a lot to do with that too, and and kind of getting to know people. I was fortunate to have. It's kind of funny that Red was in a kitchen that I had already worked in, mm. um, because before it was Red, it was Cafe Undutois, and I worked there, and so I I kind of had a, a sense of familiarity with the space, which kind of really helped. And then knowing some people that were that were going to be working there, and 
you know, then yeah, throwing your head in the ring, having a little bit of a reputation already. And, and they're like, oh yeah, we'll give you a shot. And, and it was great. I learned, I learned a lot about butchery there. Uh, I learned a lot about how to work with finer ingredients. Uh, you know, it was super cool. Didn't last very long. It wasn't even over in a year, but, uh, you know, maybe we, maybe we splurged on ingredients. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second question I had, because I'm, I'm noticing the, the use of the word cook and the use of the word chef. And this uh. is kind of one of those things. So like, I'm, I don't know if you've seen it, but everybody was talking about the show, the bear. Uh-huh. And I was talking to some of my other friends who are chefs and I was like, I recognize a lot of the things from the industry. I think a lot of the finer details were done really well. What are the things that you were like, this isn't very realistic? One of them I heard consistently was like, they called everybody chef in that show. And they're like, I've never been in a kitchen where everybody is yes, chef. And that kind of begged this question to me. You go, what is the difference between a cook and a chef being someone that has kind of made that jump? What is that difference between someone that says, I'm a cook or I'm a chef? So in in the in the show the bear that that where everybody calls each other chef is kind of that blue apron uh, French laundry mentality, mm. uh, and then so that's that's kind of where that stems from. And not every kitchen everybody calls everybody else chef. Yeah. You know what I mean? Usually usually chef is reserved for the chef, and then you know it just kind of starts getting confusing if you just address everybody as chef <laughs> but I, I see where you're coming from where it's a sign of respect and you say hey chef you know and but see when i hear the word chef i look because i think people are talking to me yeah because i'm chef yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah. uh, so it, it in in that respect that that's the kind of thing you see in that level kitchen where you know it, there's a bunch of people working there for free and they're tweezing stuff, you know. <laughs> so that would be more of like the very, very high yeah. end of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. You and know, and and I, I guess I, I haven't really even experienced that. Most of the time, people call the chef chef, and maybe the sous chef if mm-hmm. he's running the line or whoever is like in charge is chef. Yeah, and that you refer to them as chef, but. Not where the cooks are calling each other chef. So it's you know what I really mean? entirely dependent on the kitchen, how yeah, that operation yeah. runs. And yeah. then the difference between somebody saying I'm a cook or I'm a chef would be like, is your position literally exactly. does it have the word chef at the beginning exactly. of your position? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of if you're a cook, you're the line cook and you work uh, you work a station. You know, yeah. you, you have to like today I work the grill station. So I'm going to show up at this time and I have to prepare all of my meats and sauces. And, uh if you're a chef, then you're responsible for far more than just your little your little group of foods. Yeah, there's a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is something I saw some people be like, yeah. And now that makes sense because the show's based on a guy coming from the kitchen yeah. with the tweezers, and that's how it's done. Yeah, it's that's their, now he's applying it to the steak. You know, the steak that's shop their culture, and they re, they use it. A, you know, as a term of respect for each other. Yeah, in that you know everybody is you know equal in the kitchen just in some level but uh yeah so your uh reds open not only a year which yeah. unfortunately i think i think in the restaurant industry covid brought a ton of awareness to it for obvious reasons but yeah. i think this is true of a, a lot of small businesses in general you only hear about the people that are doing well and yeah. there is a disproportionate amount of attention only placed on a small number of locations that are succeeding at the highest level when the reality of it is most places don't make it, but you don't hear about it because that's sad. And maybe you get a blurb in the Star Tribune of like, here's the opening and closing. And that's kind of the last thought about it. But uh, so Red closes. Where do you go after that? And is that the is that the first experience you had at working in a place that just didn't make it? That was the first time that that, yeah, that that had happened where it just kind of didn't work out. How soon from closing were you aware that that might be the case? Oh, that was, uh, that was, well, that's a story for sure. We, um, we came to work and there was a lock on the door. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. And, uh, somehow coach, he's a chef now currently, currently Chris coach. He, he was a sous chef there at the time. Um, he knew the security guard in the building or had enough of a rapport with him to get him to let him in. And he went and got all of our knives and stuff out of there all of our knives and spoons and some other stuff too 
Uh, I think we had some infused vodka and some pelmenis that we <laughs> nabbed too. And then he, we brought it all back to his place and dumped everything on the floor and sat around it. And we were like, is this your knife? Yep. Is this your fish spatula? Yeah. I am missing that bench. That's my bench knife. <laughs> you know, it, we basically had a pile of all of our equipment because that's how we, we most of us, um, at, you know, at, at the point in the career that I'm at, you have your own knives. You have your yeah, that's, you have your that, own. Anybody who's a craftsman has tools they like. At that point, it's an yeah. extension of your arm. Exactly. That if you're using someone else's knife, you're like, this isn't yeah. right. Everything's slightly we're off. locked out, and we don't have. We're like, oh my, oh our stuff's in my my shoes, my cooking shoes. Everything's in there, and they just locked us out. So, it, it, you know, we we drank a whole bunch of vodka and ate some dumplings and uh, <laughs> and divvied out our respective tools and. Well, yeah, was, what was, was there a communication after that? Like, here's what happened, or I assume you show up with the locks on the door. You assume you're closed, but maybe you're like something weird happened. Are we going to open back up, or how does, does the communication go after that situation? Yeah, I mean, it, as a you know, as a line cook, I I didn't have any knowledge of the the you know the financial yeah, you know state, situation, and you know, I was a younger person, you know, right there, my blinders were on, and I'm just I'm cooking. And I, I didn't really see the rest of the business. Uh, looking back, you know, uh, it was just it was poorly managed. Mm. You know, we spent too much money on stuff, and uh, it wasn't profitable. Um, and you could, I, you could have probably had seen the writing on the wall if you knew what to look for, but I didn't. You know, I was just a cook, just a kid. I didn't know that we were going to close soon. Mm. I had no idea how well we were doing. You know. Um, but after having some experience, if I would put myself back there, I'd be like, wow, we need to do this and this and this differently. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at that position, it, you're almost like, <laughs> yeah, I would I even idea. be allowed to kind of bring this up? Uh, would that, You know, yeah. And it, so I, I didn't really see and I didn't know. But uh, experience in hindsight, like they always say. It's 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where do you go from there? You get your knives, you get your shoes back. I get back. my knives, get my shoes back, you know, and kind of look for a job. Um, and fortunately, I ended up working with uh, with one of the chefs there. You know, he landed. And so I ended up fo kind of following Matt for a bit. And then... Uh, Is that it, something that's pretty typical if you've worked with a chef, like as a line cook or a sous chef with kind of the head chef? Do you see a lot of that, that as people move around, they've got... Not, maybe not all the team, but at least a few positions that they're going to be like, I'm going to use some yeah, of my people. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, there's, you know, you, you start to develop a team and they like working for you or like working together or, and, uh, and you definitely, you know, obviously you want to see people move on mm -hmm. the whole, you know, you want to mentor people. You don't want anybody to stay stuck, but then there's some people that don't ever want to be more than your your best prep cook ever yeah you know what i mean and, and those people are you're, you know you're like yes you just want to be an awesome prep cook that's great <laughs> you know you're going to come to work today and make sure everything's done that's great and uh, you know because sometimes in our industry like staffing it can be a thing and having yeah. somebody that consistently comes to work and does their job is is beautiful you know and so if you develop relationships and you develop you treat your treat people right there they're going to want to work for you in, in another place and i've experienced that and, and so with matt where did you end up going there see we uh we went to our bore and then um and then we ended up going to uh um work at then i actually kind of got poached from matt Actually, that's what happened. So yeah, I was working there at Arubor, which is now that space is now Meritage in St. Mm -hmm. Paul. Um, they've expanded since then, um, and and then Lenny was going to be the chef again at Q at the Guthrie, mm. and so that's where I went from there. He's like, all right, like for some guys, and, and so I went and worked and opened up the the brand new Guthrie building, the big blue yeah. down in the river. They serve mm -hmm. our coffee now. Let's mm -hmm. go. Uh, <laughs> it, poaching in the industry. This is an interesting one because yeah. as you start to build a reputation, more people start to know you and you start to become the person that's on a lot of short lists. Sure. How is that viewed in the industry of being quote unquote poached from someone? Yeah, is that, you know, is it something that it's like when that happens, does Matt go good for you? You earned it. Or is it like screw them for coming in our building and, and 
poaching one of our people? How does that all work? Yeah, you know, I guess there could be some hard feelings. Uh, you know, like in that particular instance, it was, you know, it was a good move for me. And, you know, I think it, we were all good in that. And, it, it, and while it was poaching, quote unquote, you know, because I essentially somebody came and offered me while I wasn't looking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And <laughs> that's kind of what I guess what we say when, you know, when we say we got poaching and it's, yeah. you know, somebody left a job and they weren't necessarily, somebody came and offered them a job and they weren't looking and then they left. And they're like, yeah, that, but the, yeah, that's going to happen. But you know, it usually, usually it doesn't though, because like I said, you develop relationships with people and, and so, like, there was no bad blood. I could see the only time that, you know, there was some recent, you know, there was, it was hard to find people yeah. recently after reopening. And so I, I would hear a bunch of stuff about people being like, uh, you know, especially since you got a lot of restaurants in one area and only so many cooks. Yeah. And, and that, the, the <laughs> Twin Cities, is, we go, we're a big city, you go, <laughs> Not that big, Not though. That big. And especially yeah. when you start to think about the different levels of dining and cuisine, yeah. you know, there's not that it's a pretty small group of people and that's mm -hmm. that's been the wild thing whether it's through this podcast or just being in coffee and kind of being adjacent to the food and beverage industry how quickly you start to realize you go, i'm like one or two degrees away for almost anyone yeah. in this industry at this point yeah uh, and that's not even a flex it's just like you meet a, there's like three or four people that if you meet them they probably know another person that you've heard of or whoever it may be and even recently in coffee, I heard of someone barista poaching. It did not go over well. And so that's why, that's actually that's actually why I asked because I like heard rumblings of really? like somebody was like they are pissed, and I was like about what? You go another shop was trying to get their people, and I was like, huh? All right, well, are we? We're not involved. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's interesting because there, the I, I can see that where you have specific almost figureheads or barista or bartender can really can draw in business. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it is interesting that I think baristas from the outside looking interviewed is just like, yeah, it's just a person that serves coffee. But when you look at the different levels of a shop, it's like, yeah, if it's a Starbucks, they, they're famous for their training program. They can train anyone to be a proficient barista. They've got the equipment, yep. the, the you know the semi-full automatic machines. They've got everything set up so that anyone, when trained, can run it. But when you get to the level that you're at the highest level, you're drawing on a manual espresso machine where you're weighing out every shot. You need someone that can dial in the coffee. That is a specific learned skill. Yeah. That again, as just like in the restaurant industry, when you go up that ladder it becomes a very small group of people in the twin cities that you go, this is a potential head barista for that type of program. Yeah. So when someone else started knocking on a few doors, it was and it not does. It definitely so generate. That's the kind of thing that will, will generate sales in business too, yeah. because people want to see that they want to see their, you know, a craft executed well. Yeah, I would never, point, I would never you know? state it publicly, but yeah. there are some places if I see a certain barista on bar, I know what I'm getting that day. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, if yeah. they're <laughs> and the same thing happens in a hospital, well, in 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 a bar, mm -hmm. you know, there are there are bartenders. I I worked in the poaching of a bartender <laughs> or, or two. You know, I was a regular at one bar, and I kept being like, you know, you should come work with us. You make a bunch of money. <laughs> I've seen not with, not with you, but I've seen it happen live. Where I'm like, holy shit, that is a, not timid in the yeah. uh, the tactics there. But uh, I mean, with bartenders, it's true because that's the difference of me being like, okay, I'll get just like a classic cocktail that's on the menu. Mm -hmm. There's certain bartenders that I go, what's your favorite thing you're making uh, lately? And they go, what do you like? I go, no, 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 just whatever you're just making that something. you that you like the most recently. And it yeah. always, that, that's kind of the difference to me. And you go back, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you, it's hospitality. <laughs> That's why they call it the hospitality industry. It's service. You know, you're, we don't, we don't go to a bar so that it's just like at home. I don't go out for coffee so that it's the same coffee <laughs> yeah. that I have at home. I might try to make my coffee better at home because I'm curious or good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But still, I know that, that if I, you know, I'm going to go to a good 
you know, I know that it's different and I know that it's service minded and I know I'm getting an experience. Mm. It's not just the coffee that I'm buying when I step, you know, I stop at Nina's a lot. That's my coffee shop because yeah. it was across the street from a place that I worked for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, it, their, their coffee's great. I forget what they even sell there though, but I just go because it's my place. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And you should get your coffee in there. I, I've only tried like 19 or 20 times. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> let me, let me see, you know, see what I can do. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull I've, some strings and <laughs> I, I've got, uh, that is the one thing is when someone goes somewhere that doesn't have they're like you should get your coffee in here I go yeah yeah no yeah. I promise you if it's a good shop I have sent a message on every platform and uh yeah 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 <laughs> but they you said you you your coffee company you're making coffee but you're mm -hmm. when we were talking about the like that face-to-face -face marketing that mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that stuff is huge the, the the service the service aspect of it yeah it's 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 hard to build a reputation uh but once you have one built and you're like showing with good customers that you're executing we really hit this thing this year which was weird because going into this year our number one focus was let's flip the books back upside down because COVID basically took the entire business was like, Hey, here's, here's a ton of debt. All your revenue mm -hmm. is going to disappear and you're going to have to figure out how to do it for the next 18 <laughs> months. Then things started opening back up. We're like, okay, we're back on track, but we need a full year of just stability. Let's be conservative in our spend. I'm not even going to make any outward sales calls while we focus on all of this. Yeah. But then that word of mouth starts to travel. And this is one of the cool things about the twin cities and sounds like it's a similar thing that starts to happen to you at that point in your career that we were talking about that once you execute against the things that you say you're good at or the things that you want to be good at then all of a sudden you get recommended to this person yeah. and then you have people reaching out to you being like hey so and so let me know that you're do that you have great coffee you do a good job can we meet and, and so this year every new customer we've had has either been our existing customers expanding or word of mouth through just someone else that's like hey they need coffee and I recommended you and I'm like, that's, it's wild when that kind of momentum starts to hit. Yeah, that's great. And then you can kind of take business that you want too. And that, <laughs> that is a huge thing. And I've tried to be somewhat picky, but when you're small, you're like, we will make anything work. But then yeah. you, you learn a ton through that because we've had some customers that's like, this probably isn't going to work. And then you know why. And then when you see those same signs in the future, you go, I'm going to avoid this one or even just recommend a different type of coffee or supplier. This mm -hmm. might be a better fit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, but that is something that happens a lot. You should get your coffee in here. I'm like, if they're in the Twin Cities, I've probably tried and I, it's been more than once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lack of persistence has never been something somebody's accused me. Right. But that, that, it, that, they are a fantastic shop. I do. Yeah. Like isn't that a funny thing though that like I, you know, I, if you're, you're listening to me, I don't, you should get Folly coffee, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, I, you know, when I, the coffee isn't the best, I already know it. You know what I mean? I know I can find better listen, somewhere listen. else. This is you saying but, this. I just want to go on the record, <laughs> but, I, but I've over time just like found myself wanting to go there because of how I'm treated. Yeah. You know, and I really, I just want to go back. Yeah. Just because they're always like, Hey Graham, you know, it's good to see you. You want your regular, you know, you want your usual. And it's like, yes, I do. How's, you know, and they, and it's genuine. And yeah. yeah. Specialty coffee went through what I consider to be a rough period. And I think this was five, six years ago, uh, that it really kind of peaked, uh, depending on where you're on the country, uh, that, these shops almost wanted to create a vibe of like, you should be honored to be here. And you're like intimidated. <laughs> and the menus were created in a way that unless you're already know a bunch about coffee, you don't know what you're reading. And it was, yes, you might attract more baristas that only care about the coffee. And then if you don't know what you're talking about, we'll treat you like an <laughs> idiot. And I experienced that a lot yeah. because I look like a super basic bro and I understand that. And so <laughs> when I walk into most shops, they assume that I don't know anything about coffee. But, uh, that it's beginning to shift back. Yeah. That there is a balance between, yes, the, co the coffee is incredibly important, but a great, great shot of espresso or coffee doesn't matter if you're like, well, that was a horrific experience. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but we <laughs> got way off track there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no, yeah. all good. <laughs> but uh, so at that point, uh, you leave for Matt to go work at Q at the brand new Guthrie building. What year was this? So like how old are you at this point in kind of your chef uh, journey? Uh, 
let's see, that would have been that would have been like 2005. Mm-hmm. That was 2005, and I'm I'm a cook still, you know, at that point. And and I uh, then eventually followed Matt again um, to a, a you know I, I left him once and then went back you know those kind of relationships <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and he was uh, what was it um, then he was gonna take a job at uh, wow racking my brain I don't know why my brain just scrambled like that uh, oh yeah he was gonna open up Il Gato. And so I ended up with Parasole Restaurant uh, Group, and Il Gato was where Filio was in um, Hennepin and Lake mm-hmm. in the Calhoun Square. And so yeah, I ended up at Il Gato there, and I took my first sous chef position there. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was with Parasole Group for a little while. Um, got to know some cool people there. And... Um, uh, and also more technique. It was really that's where I first met Tim McKee because um, he was helping Jim out there when he came on board. After Matt left, I stayed on because they kind of went through a bit of a rebranding. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, it was fun to to just keep seeing and refining technique. You know, things that I learned from Tim were, you know, just you think you know how to make a stew, right? You think you know how to brown meat. But uh, like little tips, like actually make sure it's more brown. And if it looks like it's burning on the bottom, all you have to do is just turn it off for a second. And uh, and, and little tips like, the, you know, and then putting science behind it and understanding that, oh, okay, that's the Maillard reaction. And I'm creating new flavor molecules. <laughs> and so I want as much of that as possible. Yeah. And, and then just kind of putting different pieces together. That, that was cool. That was, that was very formative there. Um, <clears throat> and spent a little bit of time at uh, La Belle Vie mm-hmm. after that. Um, went with Jim to open Union uh, with the rooftop. Um, yeah, it's been, you know, yeah, I've been all over the place, haven't yeah. I? Now that I start talking about <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I remember when we met at um, Iron Fork, it was, you, you were one of the names that I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. And it's like, it's one of those things that just certain names come up when you meet, you know, a bunch of different people in the industry and you're just talking about, oh, who you work with and this and that. And I saw you at Iron Fork and we met and it is the weird thing that it's like, I always think it's funny when you've either heard of someone or heard of something and you, you don't know why. And that's always kind of how you've been. Yeah. So when I ran into you, I was like, again, very small world, but I was like, you got to come on the podcast. Cause <laughs> I got to figure this out. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's totally cool. Yeah. That was, uh, when I were, when we met and I won iron fork, I was at Fitzgerald's mm-hmm. and so how I ended up there um, uh, it is another connection, another somebody seeking me out, um, a friend, Andy, who was along, who was a sous chef when I worked at, uh, WA Frost, mm-hmm. um, was taking a job to open up the Oxcart Alehouse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I left where I was at then to go work for him as the uh, executive sous chef. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's it, I it I have done nothing but new concepts since then. <laughs> it was kind of fun. I I mean it's very fun opening up restaurants and, and developing concepts and recipes and systems and so we we opened Oxcart and then uh, the the owners wanted to rebrand Salt Cellar, uh, um, where Han- it's actually where Handsome Hog is now up mm-hmm. on Selby and Western. So we did F- Fitzgeralds and then. Um, I also did a pizza concept in there uh, called the Fitz. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, of the, I remember that. Yeah, that was yeah. like right around the time that I moved back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's just kind of how I've ended up. In you know, eventually we wanted to move Handsome Hog up to that spot, and pizza just didn't make sense in that giant space. It's hard to sell a lot. You know, yeah, it's a massive space. Massive space. They're, I mean, they found the right the right concept for it. Yeah. That's where Hog belongs. And then yeah. was that your last stop before Pillbox? Yeah. Yep. And so is Pillbox kind of your first position that you, you're the head chef or how, how did that conversation no, it would go? Be, that would be, I, I was executive chef at Fitzgerald's okay. and the Fitz. Um, and the, so this, I guess it would be like the third concept that I would be. Yeah. Um, 
would be an executive chef at the the Fitz was really fun with the collaboration with, with that I you know I got to get a lot of help from other chefs in the company at the time mm-hmm. you know Donna Gonzalez is really talented with his uh, you know the way he can the organize research you know what I mean and no so, I don't no. <laughs> at all <laughs> organized research what do you yeah. mean by that well it, you know there, there's sometimes you got to figure out a method to your madness yeah you know and because and creating a menu seems like it could be a chaotic kind of thing to take yeah like to start like where, where do you start with a process like that well you know I've, it always starts creativity it always you know for me at least is you kind of want to start with an idea and it's obviously second and third menus might not start with ideas, you know, because then you're kind of reworking things that you already have. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, basically when you write a, write a recipe, you got to figure out how you, how to do that and how to make it reproducible and how to, how to, how to record what you're doing. And so, yeah, there's some things that I learned from him that I've, that I've tucked into my repertoire <clears throat> and, uh, you know, just ways to ways to organize how, you know, your creativity essentially and, and track what you're doing. Ah, you I know what I'm now. saying? Yeah. And yeah, it it's something that I've been talking about a lot actually. And it you know, it's it's you basically kind of weigh everything, then play and then weigh everything again. Yeah, because there's, <laughs> there's the the creative side to it of like mm-hmm. obviously you could let yourself run wild it, yeah it's almost like what you were saying at red yeah we can get all the crazy ingredients we can have things that no one's ever heard of or mm-hmm. seen and then all of a sudden you're like this doesn't financially make sense or the right. price point is so crazy we're not going to be able to find enough people that are willing to spend that and so you, then you go back to okay we need to dial that back but then how can we take that yep. apply more creative and you have to, to have this. consistency too mm-hmm. you, know, you have to be able to to hand something to somebody and say this is how you do it and this is how you know so it, you know it i and i've worked in kitchens in the past where they're like well you got to make the thing where in and i have a couple of recipes like that we call them heirloom recipes that mm-hmm. maybe it's not written down <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know how to make this or that yeah. you just do it but for the most part you got to have it standardized so that pretty much anybody can do it and then it can be scaled up or down depending on how busy you are yeah otherwise you get the game of telephone going where it's exactly one person told it to three other people and then a year from now you try that dish versus when you tried it last and you're like this is not and you hear that a lot in restaurants somebody goes back a year later and it's either like just wasn't the same or hopefully it's like it's actually it way improved but like lack of consistency can be as damning for a restaurant in the long term Mm -hmm. as just not great in the first place yeah and when you when you start with like a template for consistency essentially then it makes it easier to carry that so all the that's way the organized creativity idea. yeah so you, you you know you you start because you always want to be creative but you 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 can't just start tossing stuff together and then say here it is and then try to deconstruct and work back yeah you wasted a whole bunch of time if you know you're going to be creative you might as well structure that a little bit yeah so that you can <laughs> it, it's easier to end up with your cost goals and yeah. and things like that if you just record everything the right way how yeah. did you find pillbox after uh kind of these two other stops um i actually worked with a, a recruiting company i was being uh, i had been recruited quite a bit while i was th- with um fitzgerald's in the fits and uh, and so i decided to give them a call and uh, so i worked with ehs hospitality group and um they, they kind of put us together and yeah it was really cool at what point in the process do you get kind of brought on or does that discussion begin because that that could be because sometimes you hear it that the chef is hand in hand before the concepts even created or the concept is created and we're looking for a chef that fits what we're looking for at what point in that process were you brought in and what was that like for me and and that's going to vary you know in all the situations i was brought in after construction had started and after you know a, a concept you know was was brought up and then but we didn't have a, a menu um and we you know so the kitchen was already designed there's some there's different aspects, obviously, if there's some chefs in some jobs where you would come in and you'd, you know, you'd order all of the equipment, you know, I only purchased uh, small wares yeah. for the, for this concept, you know, all the, all the, 
the stoves and all the kitchen planning and the, you know, how to every, all the blueprints were already made, you know? So I didn't, in, in that process, I didn't have anything to do with that one. But going back to, to Oxcart, you know, then I was on early enough to see some changes being made to blueprints and actually have suggestions. You know, we, we were doing research in another kitchen, but you go visit job site mm -hmm. when it's a dirt floor still. Yeah. And it's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> you mold it a little bit more to yeah. like you exactly yeah. how you like it versus, mm -hmm. okay, this is kind of built. Now I have to get the most out of this space that's right. already been created. And so, it, and when I, when I came on board with uh, Pillbox, it, you know, there was still very rough in, you know, there was, there was some things that I was able to steer it to get it towards the kitchen towards you know work you know from what i had in my head versus what the design was you know what i mean yeah so there was some changes that i could still make um but yeah it was you know basically we came on board and uh we finished construction and wrote a menu and got it all got it all made and we got open and, <laughs> <laughs> and 12 days later yeah like, now we're not <laughs> yeah and then, uh, it, and then things have been rolling really well since, you know, since awesome. we reopened and, you know, people are going back to shows, people are, are going back to work and, uh, you know, people even want to go to work. They want to go to the office now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I've heard that's a contentious <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they get to say, you know, I only want to do three days this yeah. week. I don't work from home for two or something. And yeah, that's one where I see both sides of the argument. It's like, well, working from home, there are certain days where you go, that's really nice. But for me, it's like, I was going crazy during COVID, doing most of my stuff from home. I was like, I just want to, I want to do anything. So yeah. like, obviously we weren't affected in terms of like being able to roast and deliver, but like, I oddly enough was looking forward to those days that I'm like, okay, yeah. I can go out and be outside of the place for a little bit. Right. But it is really great to see that it's like things that it was really like March of, this year was the first time where I looked at the business and the books and everything. I go, I think this is like the first time since that March of 2020 that I, I don't see anything that's affecting the business as kind of the hangover. Yeah. Cause we still, even last winter, that's when there was kind of that big spike of yeah. the, was it Omicron, something like that. Uh, and it kept affecting it. And I was it like, did. Uh, so this has been kind of the first summer. And then obviously like knock on wood that, going into this winter is going to be kind of the hopefully the first time that you don't see that to continue to have an effect yeah. but uh how did you i don't want to get too much into it because it's so, like talking about covid and everything sure. so over it but having been open 12 days as the chef you're in charge of like uh, like sourcing ingredients uh are you in charge of like purchasing and everything in that front so how do you when the news comes in, you've been open for 12 days. I imagine you're ordering as if you're going to continue to be open. Oh, absolutely. What is that process like when all of a sudden you shift to being closed to all of a sudden 50% open? Because the, the reason I, I want to ask you is most places have an idea of what their normal business is. Oh, yeah. And now they know, okay, we know oh, we're at 50% capacity, so we can more or less adjust for 50% of what we might normally expect. But you didn't even necessarily have that idea in no, we yeah we we basically had no idea how much business we would do. Um, having some flexibility, having it be a smaller business since in in a singular concept, so we didn't necessarily have to have the same menu as a as a sister restaurant or something like that. And that, having that flexibility to kind of, you know, especially in the early stages, to reprint my menu from day to day, you know, because of the of supply issues and stuff like that, you know, um, being able to kind of dance around it, it, that kind of thing helped out a lot. You know, it, in, it ran out of stuff and it sucked, it, but that's just kind of what, what we had to deal with because we never really knew, we just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but when we shut down, you know, after those 12 days, you tried to make the best use of the product that we had. A lot of it got donated. Um, some of it got pickled. <laughs> I made kimchi, <laughs> you know, for the things that would freeze well were frozen, but you know, then you're just kind of in limbo. When we, when we reopened, um, yeah, we basically kept the menu very small to begin with and then expanded little by little as business came on. 
um to where now we can we have like some entrees and stuff like that you know before it was just a couple burgers sandwiches and abs yeah one salad and um, so you know expanding the menu and just being being flexible in that respect is it really helped us out um you know it kind of taught it taught me a little bit you know how to in <laughs> <laughs> it's it has been nice to have consistent you know, I I do know that lunches are going to be pretty busy now, and it, it makes it it makes the job easier. Yeah, it's it's always it's always easier to run a busy restaurant than it is easy than a slow restaurant. Yeah, you know, I, I feel that <laughs> the, sale, like, the sales solves all the problems. Yeah, <laughs> we had we had that similar experience where, like, at the time, eighty plus percent of our business was cafes and restaurants, and so it was like that all went away. And now we're at a, we're back to that point that I go, I can predict fairly accurately kind of what the orders will be on a given week. And it's a lot easier to make decisions when like you have a stable foundation, which yep. I, that was out of everyone's control. It's not like it was anyone's fault that that happened, but it, even just looking back two years, it's like I said, it's like, yeah, we're really busy, but mm-hmm. busy with stuff I want to be busy with versus yeah. two years ago is busy with like just what's going on fires and like, figuring yeah all oh, these bags that used to take a few weeks to get in oh those are going to be three four months from just all that small stuff so it's really cool to be on the other side of it yeah and i'm sure yep. on your side the create the creativity is something that now you can actually think about those types of things yeah. versus just like yeah, absolutely what Having ingredients a, can i get there's people that are that are excited to be out and eating and so it's fun to cook for those people yeah because it just makes it it makes your job better they're eating because (laughs) they want to eat there it's not out of sympathy it's not out of like anything else besides i want to eat your food yep exactly yeah Yeah. those are the best people to cook for (laughs) (laughs) that brings it full circle back to the instant gratification that that we're looking for as food and beverage people that i want to know right away what do you think about this tell me now (laughs) right now absolutely that's awesome well it was great having you on it was really great to get to know your story better because it's like you've always been kind of around and i'm like do how do I know him? Like, I know we met at Iron Fork, but like, why did I know about him at Iron Fork? And so it's pre- really cool to have you on yeah. and be able to tell your story a little bit. And I think it's one of those stories that people can take something from that. It's like, that's the industry. Like, yeah. there are a lot of different ways to go about it. And if someone that listens to this has heard a lot of different versions of it. And if I've learned one thing is that there's not one way to do it. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. But really appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. It was an hour six. I didn't even realize that. Wow. <laughs> <It> flew by. <laughs> well, I'll end it like I do every other episode and say have a nice day.